Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. Mike and Gino at you live. It is Thursday, about mm, six hours before kickoff for the Rams and the Vikings. And we got a really nice treat for you guys this after, or this morning, this afternoon for you East Coasters uh, with uh, three really, really good guests. Gino, how are things going in your world? I know that you were crushed by a difficult Dodgers defeat last night. Yeah, I mean, it's no, the thing is, is right now, I'm not really like... I'm frustrated, but it's no excuse this time for the Dodgers. You know, they had another two-and-a-half game lead um, that they built, and the Rockies continue to keep winning. They keep struggling. So I'm a little frustrated as a fan, but it, this team feels like um, they feel like they play like the Shaq-Kobe Lakers where they, they think they can just turn it on. The problem with this group of Dodgers is they haven't won anything. They haven't won a World Series. They, they play – like they're a team that can just turn it on and flip the switch whenever they want. Real lackadaisical, real lack of urgency, which as a fan, it's a little bit frustrating to see. Um, so hopefully this weekend they'll lock down because, uh, you know, they, they, need, they need a little luck right now. They need some help um, on the other end. I do think the Rockies are going to have to face Arietta, Strasburg, and then maybe even um, Scherzer one more time. So they may have some tough pitching to face over the weekend. But, Mike, week three, on to week four of college foot- of uh, NFL, college football, closing week of baseball. How about the NBA preseason starting this weekend? Last big round of racing preps before the Breeders' Cup, and we're coming off one of the biggest upsets in NFL history. So we have a lot to talk about this week. Yeah, you know, and uh, that team that was upset is actually coming to town here to L.A. tonight to face the— Nice segue. Nice yeah, segue prob- right there. You know, probably— most would would say that the Rams are either the the one or two, right? I mean, it's either them or Kansas City so far uh, that are that would be on most people's list, top ten list, top three list, top you know Super Bowl contenders thus far, playing really really good football. Not very many weaknesses so far, and we are very fortunate to have with us on the line the team reporter from the LA Rams, Serena Morales. Good morning, Serena. How are you? Hey, good morning. Yes, it's morning time uh, in in uh, in LA still. Yes, it's eleven a.m. So. <laughs> Just getting there. <laughs> so, a lot to talk about. But before we actually get into the game or anything like that, I wanted to talk to you about a uh, historical opportunity that we all get to witness tonight. If we want to change from the typical Buck Aikman broadcast, we could switch over to Amazon streaming. And here are the very first pair of female commentators. Andrea Kramer, right, uh, is going to be with Hannah Storm calling the game tonight. What are your thoughts about that? That's got to be pretty exciting for everybody. Yeah, it's so exciting. And I had a, a chance to work with Hannah Storm when I was at ESPN and just like, a super pro like I'm so excited one to I will be unable to hear them live because I will be on the sidelines myself. Um, but yeah, it's really great that we are seeing these these opportunities for women, especially women who have deservedly so 
you know, should have had these opportunities long before. But really cool that they're going to do this um, game tonight on Amazon. And, and, and just to see all of the, you know, I've seen Adam Schefter and all, all of, you know, my friends in, in sports uh, cheering them on. It's, it's really exciting. It's cool that they're doing it. You know, I'm biased, but they're doing it for a Rams game. <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. It's, it's, it's kind of nice that it worked out that way because they're doing, what, the next, is it seven or the rest of the season? I thought I heard oh, both. Yeah. I heard, well, I th- oh, go ahead. Start, you might as well start out on the good foot, though, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so for for those who remember Serena from ESPN days, she was on SportsCenter. She did the morning shows. She's also done covered the NBA Finals, MLB opening day. Is football your favorite, or do you have a favorite? Or are they all equal? Are you an L.A. fan for all teams? Kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I grew up in the Bronx, so I would say baseball is my number one. I'm, I've been uh, anxious. I think believe the Yankees are playing right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm a Yankee fan. I grew up pretty close to Yankee Stadium, so I grew up uh, right around the time when they started to really start winning in, like, 96. Um, so baseball first. I also played baseball for 10 years in the Bronx. I, I played in the same league as Danny Almonte, for those that remember that whole thing. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, um, so yeah, I'm a huge baseball fan, uh, but just more because I played the game for so long. And then, uh, I went to Syracuse university, so I'm a huge college hoops fan. Although their college football teams, like they're looking good with Dino Babers as the head coach there with four and zero starting the season. I'm hoping that the Rams can do the same tonight. Uh, but yeah, so football is, I would say the sport that I had never played, although I have played uh, many times flag football, two-hand touch. But, you know, it's, I think that it's been really fortunate for me in my career, you know, being able to cover baseball and being, you know, at ESPN for the time that I was. And, you know, just landing this spot with the L.A. Rams has been awesome because I've been learning so much from such smart people. Being around guys like Wade Phillips, who has been in the game for four decades, Sean McVay, who is young but really puts so much trust into his coaching staff. You know, seeing someone like special teams coach John Fossil uh, in the way he carries himself and how he has, you know, been with the team before, you know, Sean McVay even stepped in and, and kind of carrying that tone along and making sure that the locker room stays consistent. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a really awesome experience to witness firsthand. Serena, yeah, let's, I can let's start to get into some of the, uh, the Rams specifics. And we know that yeah. they've been very successful so far, but we, we did see that we had a couple big players banged up last week. What can you tell us about some of the injuries going into this Thursday night game with Peters and Tlaib? Yeah, so Akib, uh, it, 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 I believe it was reported that he's going to be out for eight games, so that's a tough loss. Uh, Akib is third on the all-time pick-six list, so big, big loss there. He also had a really great forced fumble on Keenan Allen against the Chargers on Sunday. Um, so he's out. Um, Marcus Peters is going to be a game day decision. So we'll find out later today if he will play. He had a calf injury. It was originally thought that he had hurt his uh, Achilles. So we're pretty fortunate to see that it was a calf injury. Um, he's, I saw him in the locker room yesterday, um, and he was in good spirits. In fact, he was talking smack to me as an Oakland A's fan. Um, that the Yankees aren't going to go anywhere <laughs> in the playoffs. So uh, he seems to be in pretty good spirits. Uh, if he doesn't play today, I would only hope it's just because of we're, we're looking long-term with, with Marcus Peters as far as that's concerned. Two other significant injuries um, that took place during the Chargers game. Dominic Easley, one of our outside linebackers, 
Um, he's, you know, he's just gone through a lot of injuries over his career, so he got dinged up on his knee. So I think it was more precautious. Uh, you know, it's obviously something frustrating, but he, uh, I spoke to him in the locker room yesterday too, and he seems all right. So again, um, I, you know, I, I haven't confirmed if he's going into the game today, but um, you know, he seemed in good spirits as well. The one, the one sad story of all this, but it seems like he'll he'll actually be okay too. Is JoJo Natson? So Farrell Cooper, our kick and punt returner, uh, was injured in the first game of the season, um, and so they brought in JoJo Natson, who was with us during training camp. JoJo Natson, I believe, is listed at five seven, one hundred and fifty three pounds. Um, did not uh, make the initial fifty three man roster. Um, so he is actually home in Florida when he got the call from special teams coach John Fossil to come back up after uh, Farrell Cooper's injury. So he was our kick and punt returner, and he did a great job against the Arizona Cardinals in week two. Um, unfortunately, he got dinged up. He, he broke a, a bone on his uh, hand, um, and so he had surgery already, and he is looking to miss this game, but we should actually be able to see him get back on the field for week five. So those are the injuries. I think overall, um, because we've lost two uh, cornerbacks, or I I should say one is out for this game, but in in still game day decision with Marcus Peters, we've got really good depth in that cornerback position. Sam Shields had an amazing interception against Sam Bradford this season alone, and he's come back after not playing for some time after having concussions. Troy Hill is no uh, newbie to the game as well. He stepped up in some big games last year for the Rams. And Nikel Roby Coleman, who's a slot corner, um, he'll continue to play that position. But, you know, you know but there's, it's a stacked cornerbacks group and overall DBs group led by Aubrey Pleasant. So I'm not too concerned with losing Aqib Tlaib. Obviously, it, it hurts because he's also a locker room guy. He's a captain. Um, and he carries himself so well, and guys look up to him. But as far as the technicalities and what will be run, you know, game day looks strong in that position um, as far as I'm concerned in the DB group. You know, quick question. Not very uh, sexy position, of course, but I'm a special teams junkie. I kind of, uh, one of the things I specialize (laughs) in is working with special teams guys. So um, I've got good relationships with special teams coaches around the league and, and really look at, you know, the kicker, snapper, punter positions, and I feel that the Rams have a secret weapon in, in, in Zerline. What's, uh, what's his status? I know he's out indefinitely. I know groin injuries are very temperamental, very important for a kicker. Do you see him coming yeah. back before, after the bye week, or, or what's it looking like? Yeah, they're they're letting him um, rest up and heal, and there there hasn't been a timeline for uh, Zerline yet because, yeah, I mean, man, he is so clutch when it comes to uh, that position. Um, are all of our special teams guys? I, I, we haven't even used um, Johnny Hecker much. I think he's only punted yeah. five times in the past three three games, which is incredible. Um, but and and not because we we, we we don't need him, you know, it's insane. But um, so uh, but yeah, Greg, not there's no timetable, specific timetable for him coming back. But you know, bringing in um, Sam Ficken is not really a concern for anybody. Again, with John Fossil and the way that he carries himself as the special teams head coach, like well, I, I, John, uh, Sam Ficken has learned under Greg Zerline. We, he made some incredible kicks, um, even in training camp, um, that caught people's attention. So I don't think there's too much concern. Yes, the loss of Greg Zerline because he's so clutch and because he's so consistent hurts, but I do think we would see him back. Um, we hope to see him back this season. 
Very good. And just a quick plug for the five seven guys. I know you mentioned, you know, uh, bring bringing in, you know, punt returner, receiver, five seven type guy. The Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you saw the uh, Dolphins Raiders game last week, but the Dolphins kind of had a similar situation, and they brought in a Jakeem Grant who had two, uh, three catches, 70 yards, two for touchdowns, long touchdowns. He was the difference between winning and losing. So props to the small guy. Anybody out there that's listening, <laughs> doesn't matter how, how big you are, you might have an opportunity to succeed in the NFL. So good stuff there. I wanted to ask you about team chemistry. I think that's you know one of those things that's very elusive. You can't really define it, but you're around the team a lot. You, know, you have a nice mixture of veterans and young players and, and everything in between. You know, what are your feelings and, and thoughts? And young coaches and veteran coaches, coaches also. Yeah. Yeah, the- yeah ahead, um, that's a good point. So it does lead down from the, from the coaching staff. So like Sean McVay puts, you know, asking about, you know, we talked about that he's a young coach, but he does put, and, you know, you want to see any leader do this, right? Like, here's what I need. Here are the tools that I need to fill in to make this whole, right? So Sean McVay, an, uh, you know, offensive-minded genius, you know, pulls in uh, Wade Phillips, who is his own savant on defense, right? And and John Fossil, special teams coach, but also, you know, Joe Barry, linebackers coach, and Aaron Cromer, uh, run game coordinator, and, you know, all of those, Aubrey Pleasant, you know, the way that he carries himself around the DB group. If you ever see Aubrey Pleasant, he is like, it looks like he could put pads on and go out there and run. He's got this very young uh, feel for, you know, the way that he carries himself, which I think correlates to how that these guys connect to the coaching staff. They put trust in the coaching staff. Um, and, you know, especially these mix of young and uh, more veteran uh, age players. So, yeah, the locker room is so fun. Like, I, um, I take great joy in walking in every day after practice. Um, you know, when you walk into the Rams training, um, practice, or excuse me, locker room, you know, to your right, you'll see and you'll hear before you even walk in the DB group and you'll hear Marcus Peters and you'll, you know, hear Akib Tlaib and you'll hear, you know, you know, uh, LaMarcus Joyner and some of those guys. John Johnson is, you know, safety on the team, one of the loudest guys, but has such an awesome personality. So you hear them as you walk into the room and then you make your way and then you'll see, the, you know, the D-line, you know, um, Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers. Brockers will start talking. So the the loudness lessens a little bit, but not by much. Then you get the offensive line that, you know, with Andrew Whitworth and Roger Saffold and, you know, some of those guys. So the, the temperature starts to lessen again. And right when you think, oh, maybe it's quiet over here, you get to the other side of the locker room and it's like Todd Gurley and, you know, rookie running back uh, John Kelly who – my gosh, like that guy is always on like extra energy um, and has done such a great job preseason. And, uh, and then you have the wide receiver group, which are actually the calmest guys when it comes to, you know, being loud and rambunctious, but they're so good. I mean, you've got Cooper Cup and Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods who can all play so well and they all were targeted and they all make these huge plays. Cooper Cup with that 53-yard uh, touchdown, like, I mean, they're just so great to be around. And the way Jared Goff carries himself, he has a very calm demeanor. I mean, this is a super well-run locker room, and it's really fortunate for me. Like, I am I get to see this every day, and it's cool to feel the energy in that room. That is awesome. Serena, you just started talking about Goff, and that was the one, that last question that I wanted to ask you, is that we've, I think, seen him mature and grow in the last two years, maybe more than any of these quarterbacks. The, the, the knock two years ago was, 
uh-oh, was Goff a bust? Is he not an NFL quarterback? Then last year it was, okay, now he's good with McVay and the offense, but if he has to call an audible or if things change and it's not the scripted uh, plays that he has, then maybe, you know, Goff is not quite as good. But this year, it just seems like he's taken another step. He's making throws. He's making decisions. It seems like now, instead of Sean McVay in his ear, he's kind of an extension of McVay on the field. He, he's kind of taken steps that I didn't even know or think that he had, had the ability to take. Yeah, I mean, well, think about this. Every expert was once an amateur, right? In all of our careers, we, you know, start off and we're like, oh, we, we we're so good and we know everything, but, you know, we really don't. And I think it's been a great experience for Jared Goff, you know, clicking so well with Sean McVay. Also, Sean McVay putting, you know, together pieces to protect Jared Goff. I mean, he has 2.64 seconds to throw the ball because this O-line is protecting him so well. So it's like, Let's give Jared Goff the tools so that he can be a great quarterback, right? He made, uh, I think it was 80% of completed passes on offense last week against the Chargers. Uh, they had over 500 yards on offense total. I mean, they, it's really more about that whole uh, unity, you know, with Andrew Whitworth and John Sullivan and Roger Saffold and Austin Blythe stepping up at right guard and, and those guys protecting Jared so then he can execute the things that he is so good at and making those deep throws to Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup. It's right. It's, it's setting him up for success. And so, you know, I, I don't think that Jared was, you know, where we questioned Jared Goff in the past of, is he good? Is he not good? Is it because of Sean McVay or whatever? It's really like he has been put in a position to succeed and now he is yeah. executing that plan. And that's what's so awesome about it. Like that's what we're seeing. It's not that he was ever not good or this, but like, we have given him the tools to succeed, and he is doing it now before our eyes. That is fantastic analysis there. I'll tell you what, whenever they have an opening with inside the NFL, I think that uh, you, you've got a home there, that's for sure, if you want it. Uh, <laughs> I know you've got a meeting to get to. We really appreciate you coming on with us on a, a game, game day yeah. here. Maybe we could get a quick prediction from you, and then you can uh, tell the listeners how they could follow you. Oh, okay. So prediction. Well, I do not want to see. I think that the Bills game or the Vikings game against the Buffalo Bills is misleading. So I want to give them more um, than I think people. Would. I don't know what's the spread here. Was was there a spread on this game? Seven. Um, I yeah, have I the Rams seven. I have the Rams winning. I do think that both teams are going to have to be aggressive on offense. I believe that they're planning on running the ball more against us. Um, how about a, let's give them a high score, a 30 to 24 game. <laughs> that's no. really cool. Yeah, we, got, right. we got somebody, yeah. we got an LA Rams team reporter. That's as objective as it gets. Everybody out there, <laughs> bet on the Vikings. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's good stuff. And how, how can our listeners follow you, Serena? Uh, yeah, so I'm on Twitter at, at Serena, S-A-R-I-N-A. I was one of the first uh, humans on Twitter, not robots. <laughs> on Twitter, so I'm just at Serena. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Morales Morales uh, because my mom and dad are both Moraleses, Colombian, Puerto Rican. So it just like basically put my whole <laughs> name together in one social media. Very cool. At Serena on Twitter and at Morales Morales on Instagram. So, yeah, you can find me there. I'm always posting about the Rams because this team is pretty exciting to be around. (laughs) 
Very good stuff. Great Thank you stuff. so much, Serena. Go get them tonight. We'll be watching you. Thanks, Serena. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. That was LA Rams team reporter Serena Morales. We're going to take a quick commercial break and be back with Eno Siris from The Athletic MLB. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps, on and off the field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Gino, that was really cool talking to Serena. She really knows her Rams talk. And I'm not one of those people that's like, you know, uh, for a girl or this or that. I'm not I'm not that type of guy. I know you're not that type of guy, too. We evaluate people for the quality of the presentation. She's fantastic, man. She really knows her team inside yeah, out. She's really passionate. And uh, I really enjoyed having her on with us. Yeah, she's excellent. Big game coming up for the Rams tonight. Uh, I do think they are the most well-rounded team in football, and so they will, uh, they'll try to show it against the Vikes. But, Mike, are my Dodgers going to make it, man? The Dodgers going to make it? I'm a little nervous. i gotta, I got to ask Eno what he thinks. So I, I'm curious because he's our baseball guy. So we gotta, we got to see what Eno thinks with these last three or four games left. Yeah, I got a lot of baseball questions for Eno, so let's bring him in. Eno Saris is a, his third time joining the show from the Athletic MLB, one of our more popular guests. Very, very popular on Twitter, very, very popular all over the place because he is the analytics and the guru. Breweries. The breweries love him. And the breweries, yeah. he's he, Man, this guy <laughs> is loaded with awesome stories. The analytics guru, Eno Saris. Eno, good morning. How are you, my friend? <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Yeah, the breweries love my money. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no doubt there. So l- let's start with that. We were briefly touching on it at the break. Gino's a big Dodger fan. We talk a lot of Dodgers. We're based here in L.A., so we got a lot of Dodger listeners. You know, when they traded for Machado and Dozier, I, I was telling Gino on the air that that sealed the deal, that I thought, even with you know thin thin you know pitching at times 
due to injuries and even with some bullpen woes, especially after Kenley Jansen was uh, out, that they had enough firepower really, really to be the team in the NL. Why are they kind of a fringe team right now on the outside looking in of the playoffs, potentially, if uh, if the Cardinals kind of get their butts in gear? I mean, stats-wise, the Dodgers are one of the best teams in baseball, and they've, in terms of scoring runs and uh, and, and not letting up runs, uh, you know, bullpen has been maybe their weak point, but in general, they're a very good team, very deep, and what what's what's really hurt them all season and what's why it's come down to a coin flip is that they haven't been clutch and that we actually have a number that measures clutch and the weird thing is that like from year to year that thing doesn't stay steady so next year they might be the best team in baseball uh but this year they've been unclutch and that means that late in games when they could turn a one-run game uh vic- defeat into a victory uh they haven't managed to do it so now it's a coin flip and yet, if you look back at those same numbers, you say, ah, oh, these numbers still say uh, the Dodgers are the better team um, and the Rockies are facing the Nationals and the Nationals are a better team than the Giants. So given the next uh, three, four games, uh, the Dodgers should come out ahead, but it's really a coin flip. It's about 50, 50 to 55% for the Dodgers. And, uh, and I mean, the, the, the consolation prize is okay. It's a wild card game, but it won't uh, have the same feeling, and it's a one-or-done game. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, well, on the, in the standings, sorry, it's them against, again, against the Rockies, right? But I'm almost looking at it as they're battling themselves. I mean, how are they only an 88-win team? When you look at run differential, the Rockies have a plus 31 run differential in terms of uh, run scored versus runs against. The Dodgers are at plus 170, more than, you know, almost six times a differential than the Rockies. I mean, how do you explain this? I mean, even if, you're, if the clutch numbers are suggesting that they've been subpar, when you're at a plus 170, I mean, does that mean that they're either a blowout or nothing team? Uh, there's some truth to that. They haven't done that well in one-run games. And if there is a real criticism here, I think it was that they didn't go out and acquire a reliever at the deadline. Um, you know, the Braves went and got Brad Brock and Johnny Ventures, and they didn't spend a lot, and that's a big righty-lefty duo uh, that's helped them a lot. Yes, the Dodgers got Dylan Floro, but it was more of like a, almost like a, like a waiver pickup. It wasn't uh, uh, like a big trade. And I think the Dodgers' thinking was, we have such a deep starting rotation. As these guys get healthy, we'll start putting these guys in the bullpen, and that'll make our bullpen better. And that has been the case to some extent. Kenta Maeda... It has been helpful in the bullpen. But Ross Stripling, I mean, the way that their, their rotation is set up, Ross Stripling had to go back into the rotation. And I think they probably thought, ooh, Ross Stripling will be amazing in the bullpen. He probably would have been. Uh, but now they need him in the, bull, in the rotation. So um, I, I think they could have gotten a reliever. And I think the bullpen has been uh, a soft spot for that team. I think it's probably turned uh, some of those close games into losses. Yeah, well, Moving on. Kind of Go ahead, story of the Dodgers all year long, you know, is it seemed like they would win these big series and then they would just kind of flatten out afterwards. It happened with Arizona, it happened with St. Louis, and then it happened with the Rockies again recently where they either sweep the series, they take, or they win the series, and then they come back and they flatten out against the Mets, the Reds, um, even recently the last couple of games with the Diamondbacks. I think, and I don't know if you if you get the sense, but as a fan, when I watch the Dodgers this particular year, 
I just don't get, and, and maybe it's because there's a group of guys that have been around for a while now and they've been to the playoffs now five or six years in a row, but the, the lack of urgency is what seems to kind of, I guess, frustrate me is probably the right, the right word. They just don't, they don't play it. I know that not a lot of teams don't play small ball, but they just did, didn't seem like they play a lot of small ball. They weren't trying to um, shorten up the swing and maybe manufacture a run or two. I've been a little bit frustrated with just kind of the lackadaisical attitude they've had. I mean, maybe, maybe they're they're waiting for the postseason. Uh, I, this seems like postseason right now. So uh, this yeah. new this next series has to have that feeling of, you know, uh, of being almost like a divisional series for them. They've got to win these. They've got to basically sweep these these three games against the uh, the Giants. Um, and uh, you know, if they're waiting for if they're waiting for the moment to, to rise to the moment, this is the moment. Let's move on to the now, other the Dodgers. Yeah, Uh, I was going to say, let's move on to the other race that, you know, that's very intriguing to me, which is the Cubs and and the Brewers. Uh, Before I get your thoughts on that, you know, race and and how it's going to shape out, I find the Brewers to be a very fascinating team because going into this season, you're thinking Domingo Santana, Villar, Broxton, uh, Ryan Braun, Thames, Aracia, who end up getting sent down to the minors. And they did a brilliant job putting together a club even, you know, before the season and during the season where you see names like Yelich and Kane and Aguilar, Mustakas, Shoop, guys out of the bullpen like Hader and Jeffress. Talk about how great of a job that they've done and, and the managing job, managerial job that council has done, the front office job that the Brewers have done to, to kind of reinvent themselves and to have a really, really deep and powerful, exciting team. I mean, they really focused. It was funny. They didn't uh, worry too much about how it would fit. I remember everyone saying, oh, you know, they went and got Lorenzo Cain and Kristen Yellick, but they already had good outfielders. Well, it turned out, you know, people get hurt. Uh, you know, people regress. Uh, and and they might have gotten the NL MVP. I mean, it really looks like Kristen Yellick is the MVP. So um, they went they went and got them as much. And, and then at the trade deadline, they went and got Travis. They had Travis Shaw. But they went and got uh, Jonathan Scope, and they, they got uh, Mike Moustakis. They got more uh, bats that played positions they already had. And people said, what about defense? They, they kind of are like, let's just amass as much talent as we can um, and, uh, and, and figure it out as it goes. And I think that's, that's done them well. And on the other side, you know, you look at the, the, the Brewers' starting rotation, they have the lowest velocity in baseball uh, as a starting group. They, they, they average as a starting group under, I think, under 91, and average velocity in today's game is like 93 miles an hour. So, you know, I think what they did is, you know, I found a stat um, that kind of tries to get a command called Command Plus from Stats, Inc., and, and um, the, uh, they're number one in, um, in the National League in, in command. Uh, so I think they found a bunch of command uh, starting pitchers that would get them to this power bullpen, uh, and then otherwise they're going to slug you, uh, slug some runs into you. So uh, I, I think it's a fun team. It's a, it's a modern team, uh, and they, they found something a little bit undervalued in, in that starting rotation that makes it work. Yeah, and, you know, Gino and I have loved Aguilar. I mean, this guy, you know, they had one game in March, and through the March game in April, he only had one home run, right? So 477 at-bats, 34 home runs, you know, 100-plus RBIs, he's, he's a little bit of an enigma because at, at sometimes he's, he's very streaky. You know, he could hit for a high average. 
you know, what do the numbers suggest? Is he the type of guy that you would want to have in the playoffs? You know, do his clutch numbers suggest that he's, you know, one of those guys that could carry the team or are, are the numbers a little bit misleading? Uh, I mean, he does play in a nice park. Uh, you know, Milwaukee's a good park for hitters, and that'll, that'll help all of their numbers a little bit. Um, but he's a, he's a good player. And I think it just speaks to what I was talking about earlier, which is they already had a first baseman. And getting Eric Thames from uh, Korea for, you know, three, four, five million a year um, was already a coup. And they could have said, we have a first baseman. Let's go spend that on a starting pitcher. But instead of dumping a bunch of money in D.U. Darvish, they said, ah, let's go find Jesus Aguilar. Let's, let's sign Lorenzo Cain instead, instead to play center. Uh, let's just beef up the offense. You know, we, we believe in our starting pitching just enough to, to get us to the, to the postseason. So. Uh, I think this will be a, a tough team to, to face in terms of the kind of lineups they can put together. Do you think so they end up? The, the, uh, oh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I was going to I was going to ask for the National League prediction. If we were to say that right as of now, we have the Dodgers, the Rockies, the Cubbies, the Brewers, and the and the Braves. If those were your playoff teams in the National League, who would you kind of hit your wagon to? Who do you like the best of that group? Well, the Cubs have a game they can win today, uh, and that'll, that'll help them. Um, and they can win that game. Having a one-game lead into that last season will be huge. They still uh, are the favorites. I, I, I kind of think it's going to be Brewers-Rockies um, in, the, in, the, in the wild card game. Um, and that'll be, that'll be wild because the starting pitcher will probably pitch one or two innings. Uh, there'll be a lot of power <laughs> arms that come out of the bullpen. Um, and uh, it'll be in, a, in an offensive environment, so the Rockies will be right there with them. One thing that's interesting about the Rockies is they're not that great of an offensive team. Uh, some of that gets covered up by playing in Colorado, but if you're going to ask me between those two who's going to advance, I kind of am going to go with the Brewers. They're going to have the better offense, uh, an equal bullpen, and uh, I'm not sure the starting, the starting pitching difference that would favor the Rockies is that much of a difference in a one-game playoff. Let's move over to the American League. You being in the Bay Area, you've done some extensive coverage on the A's. I've read a lot of your articles on the A's. It's a mystery to me how, how they've done it this year. And their win total is absolutely amazing, especially when you're talking about having to reinvent yourself from a pitching staff perspective mid-season. Uh, but in my mind, the AL is still going to come down to the Red Sox and the Astros. I'm probably overlooking Cleveland a little bit. The Yankees obviously can bash the A's are really, really interesting. How are, who, would you, who do you envision seeing in the ALCS? It's hard for me to see anybody come out of there except for the Astros. They're just a, like a really well-rounded, complete team. There's no real uh, underbelly. If you look at the Red Sox, the, 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 bull, the bullpen is kind of a mess. I mean, I don't know if you know, some people would say it's completely disastrous, and other people would say it's... Uh, you know, it's fine. They'll, they'll get through it, and their, their starting pitching is so good that it'll be fine. But, you know, Chris Sale was just throwing, like, 91 in his last start, and if he can't throw 95, 96 for seven innings um, and you need to start bringing that bullpen in in the fifth and sixth, uh, you're in trouble. David Price uh, has been up and down this year. If he can't go six, seven innings and you're starting to bring in Stephen Wright, a knuckleballer, uh, as your, like as one of your setup guys, uh, I, I'm a, you know, I love knuckleballers, but I, uh, they kind of give me, like, reach for the tumness kind of feeling. So, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think the Red Sox have uh, 
a great lineup, uh, really good starting pitching, and that, that bullpen is a problem. The Indians, um, I think, are a sleeper. Uh, I think uh, the Indians might actually, even though they have like 18 fewer wins than the Red Sox, um, there's something about the Indians that I like. I mean, if you think about all that great starting pitching, the bullpen really got um, you know, improved in the, when, they, when they traded for Brad Hand. Um, and, and got Andrew Miller back, and you know I, I see the Indians as uh, you know maybe catching fire. Uh, and if there's any team that can unseat the Astros, I kind of look at the Indians. Let's zip through some issues here before we get to the next commercial break. Let's talk about Bryce Harper and his future. It was kind of interesting and ironic yesterday. Uh, Dave Martinez wanted to send him back out, I believe, in the eighth inning to kind of you know bring him out of the game give him that final curtain call if it is indeed his final home game with, with the uh, the Nationals, and uh, it was rain-shortened. Maybe that's a prophecy. But do you think <laughs> now that Juan Soto has emerged, a 19-year-old phenom, Victor Robles, and you know some of these young guys, do you think that makes it maybe a little bit easier for the Nationals to say, if we're able to keep him at the right price, we keep him. If not, let's just let him walk. Um, you know, they have Victor Robles, you know, they do have Adam Eaton uh, and Juan Soto, so they do have what you could call a starting outfield, but they're also going to have a lot of money to spend. Uh, they're a team that has been accustomed to winning. They still have a core in place. Uh, they still have Max Hertzer, and uh, they're going to want to compete. So I think they'll be active in the free agent market. Um, I doubt that Manny Machado makes a lot of sense for them, given uh, their infield structure, unless they wanted to move Rendon over to second, I think that would would be um, kind of an iffy iffy answer. But you know, maybe maybe they will be in there for Manny and Harper and, and get one of them. But uh, if it's if it's going to be one of them, I, you'd think it'd be Harper. Uh, they've had a great relationship with him. He loves them. They drafted him. Uh, he, I think personally, I think he's been nothing but good there. I mean, there's there was you know one or two down years. But he's been basically all-star level most of the time he's been there. Um, and, you know, this year he played 156 games, his career most. Um, and that seems relevant because one of the biggest knocks on him was he's never in the lineup and he's, he's hurt too often. But uh, other than that, dude, you know, has great patience, doesn't strike out all that much, a little bit too much this year. But in the past he's been better than league average. Great power, great speed, great defense. Um, and you know, some people there's whispers of like, oh, you know, is he is there something wrong in the clubhouse? I've seen him in the clubhouse plenty, and yeah, he's a little bit arrogant. You you see what he's like uh, on the screen, uh, but so are like most baseball players. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. I don't see anything. When you're that good, I you know? Seen much that. Yeah. yeah, they are really good. Yeah, and uh, uh, <laughs> I don't see anything that's like really uh, inconvenienced. I think. You know, most players get annoyed when they're being inconvenienced. Harper still talks to the media, and so, you know, that's one thing that's annoying if you have your star that won't talk to the media, uh, and now you're being asked questions uh, about the team that really Harper should be answering. Uh, but, yeah, but I've, you know, Harper has actually been available to the media for what I've seen. Fair enough, but, I mean, you mentioned he's had some down years. He had a down first half this year. The number of games played sometimes... Uh, does it all warrant a 10-year, $300 million Boris payday? He's 25, and 
you know, you very rarely, you know, the last person who was this young uh, and of this kind of talent was was uh, Alex Rodriguez. And Alex Rodriguez yeah. did get that huge deal. People said he wasn't worth it, but that was actually one of the best big deals of all time. Uh, and I'm not talking about the last big deal with the Yankees or anything. I'm talking the about tech, the, the Texas Rangers one, right? deal. The Texas deal was actually one of the best big deals of all time, and part of that was that A-Rod was so young. Now, there's other things going on. He was a shortstop, uh, which allowed him to be good even when he moved to third. Uh, Harper is already a corner outfielder, so there is some worry that, like, as he gets older and less fast, is he going to have to be a first baseman and so on and so forth. But um, I think it's a little bit out far in the future. I do think he's maybe played himself out of that huge of a contract. Uh, and if you look at the way baseball has been spending, um, there haven't been huge contracts like that recently. So I think that there's something that might seem huge that has some opt-outs in it. I think that's most likely. Uh, something that's like 250, 275, but he can opt out after three or four years. Uh, that's, that's what I think is going to happen. You know, we're up against the break, so let me get some one-word answers from you uh, before we let you go. Otani or Andohar? To me, it's Otani. Uh, he's like basically 30 or 40% better than the league with the bat and with the arm. I know the quantity isn't quite there with the arm, but once he stopped pitching, he, he started playing more often, started hitting more often, and showed us what a great hitter he was. He really stands out for me. Andohar's defense also uh, takes away from his, uh, his package, I think. It's kind of funny because I've seen some Yankee fans basically allege, well, he's not really a rookie. He played in the Japanese league and so on and so forth. My comeback to that is, <laughs> hey, you know, any other rookie uh, played in AAA, right? And if we say that Japan is probably, <laughs> you know, somewhere between, you know, if the Japanese league is somewhere between AAA and the majors. And so, so you got one person coming from AAA, another person coming from the Japanese league. Neither of them came from the majors and they're both playing in the majors for the first time. So I don't understand that argument. Fans there. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand yeah, that argument. Point. So. I, for the most part, we, we think of Japan as sort of AAA to quadruple-A uh, in terms of talent overall. Um, so, you know, I think that's a good, great, great point. Uh, Soto or uh, Ronald Acuna Jr.? Um, I can't answer that. I got a vote. Uh, but uh, I will say <laughs> that I was leaning more, I was leaning more towards uh, Soto early in the year because I really liked um, some of the, uh, the the way that he goes to has power to all fields and doesn't reach at pitches outside the strike zone. But Acuna's made a great stride in the second half and is no longer uh, as wild of a hitter as he was when he first came up. And I just want to mention a couple more rookies that I want to give props to. I love Harrison Bader's game, and I really like what the the Royals are doing with their rebuild. They got you know Brad Keller and Ryan O'Hearn. They got some things maybe to be uh, optimistic about. Check out Mondesi's about. a stud. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I worried a little bit about you know the fact that he strikes out a lot and doesn't walk at all, uh, but his tools are very loud, uh, and I think he can he only he'll make it all work um, with power and speed and defense. Um, and, and you know Jack Flaherty on the on the uh, Cardinals deserves a lot of love. He's got an elite slider. Um, you know I, I watched uh, Jack Flaherty duel Walker Bueller a couple times this year. And yeah. uh, both of those were, uh, were must-see TV. Uh, I hope those guys stay healthy for a really long time because I really enjoy their games. You know, we're up against a break. We're actually late on it, so we got to let you go. Uh, if you've got a, 
MVP vote, I, ho- I hope it goes Betts' way because I-, I love uh, Mookie Betts <laughs> and the season that he's had and 30-30 guy and everything. But why don't you give our, your, our listeners how they could follow you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. Uh, check me out at The Athletic. Today I broke down uh, the next generation of general managers because the Giants are looking. Um, and I know it's a subscription site, but it's not too expensive. we got Ken Rosenthal. Uh, the original Bowtie Master. We got Jason Stark, and uh, um, you know the, ba- the baseball force is strong with us. And we just started adding a ton of basketball and football too. So I think it's a really great place to get your favorite writing all in one place. Well worth every penny. I'm a subscriber, and I absolutely love it. Eno, thank you for joining us again. We hope we could catch up with you maybe later in the playoffs. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Eno. Let's take our next commercial break, and we will be back with the Parlay Queen, Monique. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Final segment of the Mike Abadir Show. You know what that means? That means we are bringing on the parlay queen, Monique, from Covers. Monique will be joining us each and every week, giving us her best bets of the weekend. And so far, so good. A little bit of a, a down week, but we'll blame that on the Patriots last week, Monique, because you and I both went to the Patriots again. They've let us down a few times this year. So we'll have to steer our betting interests away from the Pats this weekend. I think you have a couple, uh, three plays for us this weekend. Is that right? Yeah, three plays, and I am definitely not on the Pats again. Until their offense starts doing something, I am not backing that team at all. No, no, we, we can't. I think um, we've been 0-2 on them so far, but uh, I, will, I will be the same with you. We're going to steer clear uh, from the Pats until they try to figure things out a little bit. So go ahead and tell us, what's your first play of this weekend? My favorite play is actually in tonight's game. It's probably Vikings plus seven. And I think this line is just a huge overreaction to what we saw to the Vikings last week. And I fully get it. I mean, they could not have possibly looked worse 
But this is still a top three defense in the league. And I think offensively, while they've struggled and been one of those average offensive teams, I'm not sure how they're going to fare, but I do love that the Rams will be without their top two corners and probably two best defensive players in Tlaib and Peters. I think the Vikings will do just enough, and I'm all for getting a touchdown to play with. So I love the plus seven tonight. Yeah, you're right. This is probably one of those where two weeks ago it's probably like four and a half or five, you know, and, and you're, gonna, you're getting Absolutely. an extra few points here. Yeah, just on that Bills over reaction. So what is play number two for you this week, Monique? Play number two is the under 42 in Eagles-Titans. And I think the returns of Carson Wentz and Jay Ajayi should bode really well for the Eagles. I mean, we saw Wentz last week, and he looked, he looked pretty good. He put up some good stats, and I think that that's really good to fuel them. Uh, I think the Titans in this game will be really trying to establish the run. And I think the Eagles hold probably the league's best run defense. So speaking on defenses, the Titans' defense have been super, super solid this year, and especially last week. Despite playing a team completely plagued with injuries in the Jaguars, holding them to only two field goals in the whole game is just completely impressive, and I'm, I'm all for that. I think this is one of those where I would lean towards Eagles minus four, but I think the under is just a better play. Under the 42 Eagles-Titans. Yeah, have the Titans... They're sneaky. If they were able to beat the Eagles this week, they'd be a 3-1 and one team with a bunch of injuries. And then your final play will be, uh, we're going to go one more time, and hopefully Deshaun Watson will start to, to get things figured out. It seems like he's, after the injury now, he's seeming to, to, to take a step forward. So I, I think I'm expecting his best performance yet this week. I would agree. So my final play would be Houston plus two, and I think this is one of those perfect games for Watson to build his confidence. I think they'll get most of their success through their defense, and I think defensively they can really capitalize off some Colts mistakes. And I think getting the points this week with the far more talented team, I'm very, very happy to go with. I mean, Houston was one of those dark horse Super Bowl contenders, and we definitely haven't seen that yet, but I think it's one of those which can go either way with the quarterback. If they're missing a season or two or just not really into the swing of things yet. I think it's tough to really get back into it playing in such, I, I would say, an offense-heavy league as of right now. But I think, I think it's a good game for them. I really do. And I think the plus two is, is obviously very generous. And I would consider maybe a money line. But, I mean, if you're getting two points with the better team, I'd say just take that. So the Vikings plus the seven, the under 42 in Eagles, Titans, and Houston, Texans plus the two, um, the Colts, who do not have a very good offensive line, they've played pretty well. Their defense has actually been better than expected. But I can just see with Watt, the way that he started to play at the end of the week, if they're able to, to get a hit or two on Andrew Luck, that's going to make Colts fans and Colts backers very, very nervous. So uh, could be, that could be the real, the real key to the game there, the Colts offensive line versus the defensive line of the Texans. Monique, the parlay queen, three more plays this week. Monique, give us your plugs. Let us know where we can find you online, and then uh, everyone will be looking forward to hearing from you again next week because I keep getting feedback that uh, everyone always wants to kind of move to the end of the show to hear all the picks. So everyone's appreciating your analysis each and every week. Well, of course they like it when I'm winning, but last week <laughs> probably not quite as happy, but I, th I think we're going to turn it around this week. Um, and the best place to find me would be on Twitter at ParlayQueen or America's Best Racing or Covers. Monique, thank you very much. We will talk to you again next week. Kick some butt. Good luck. Thanks, Monique. Thank you so much. Good luck this week. Always Good love talking to Monique. Monique. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. So Monique went, I think she was, uh, last week was the first, I can't remember a week that she struggled like that, really, in, two, in the two years we've had her on. So uh, even, even the best have a, a down week sometimes, but she's still 500 on the year. And yeah, I was going to say, why don't you run down the like numbers? You, how'd, she, how'd she do last week? And how did, yeah, you know, let's run through the numbers for all of us. So Monique was 0-3 last week, but she's still uh, 6-6 six and six now on the okay. season. Mike, you went 1-0 and last week. So now um, that was the only, ma- the only play you made. You have a lo- only one loss and one tie on the season. You've been doing pretty well so far. Last week I was 3-2. and two. There were six games that I talked about. Actually, we, you and I were texting during some of the games. I did get lucky in one of them in that the line didn't get up to 7 in the Chiefs 49ers game. So I steered clear of that one. The line did float up in the Titans game, and they ended up winning the game straight up as a 10-point underdog. So that one was a, a good play. Um, and then uh, the Pats was the one also that killed me. I was with the, the Raiders, who, man, they were playing very well all throughout the game. They looked like uh, they were going to cover that spread, and then a, a couple um, late mishaps hurt them. So I ended up going 3-2 and two last week. What are your plays this week, Mike? Okay, so I'm 4-1-1, one, and one, and this week I've yeah. got three games. Three games. So a lot more than I've, than I've done, the most since week one. Minnesota plus seven. Let's keep in mind, Minnesota routed the Rams last year, 24-7, to and last November. And uh, even though there's some revenge factor there, there's, I think, a greater factor of the Vikings coming back strong after a horrible performance last week. I know uh, they've got some uh, injuries and uh, Everson Griffin with the mental health stuff, but Minnesota's going to come in strong. Miami, plus seven against the Patriots. The last time they faced each other, Miami won 27-20. They're 3-0 and this year against the spread. In the three games that they've played, they've won by seven, by eight, and by eight. I think this is going to be no different. They've got the wrong team favorite. I'm taking Miami straight up to beat New England. The last game is the well, Chargers. If you're going to, then you better bet them on the money. If that's the case, you better bet the money line because your money line will be something like two and a half or you know, somewhere like that. So if you like them straight up, it, it would be beneficial to play that money line. You'll get much better value. Yeah, I li- what I like to do is I like to go both ways. So, you know, if I'm going to bet a hundred bucks, maybe to go, know you do. You know, yeah, you do. 55, you. yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> 55 to win 50 on the plus seven, just to back myself up. And then maybe the remaining 45 bucks on the money line for Miami. And then the last game is going to be the chargers to absolutely destroy the 49ers. Remember last week I paused for emphasis, right? I said, I said that the Seahawks would absolutely cover the spread against the Cowboys. I say the same thing this week, chargers, win 37-13. to 13. 49ers obviously coming off a very tough loss of their quarterback, Garoppolo. Bethard has been one of the most historically bad quarterbacks. Small sample size, but historically bad amongst one of the worst ever. Until he turns this around, I see the Chargers coming back and spraying a can of whoop-ass on the 49ers. This seems like the game that the Chargers will win by 30. They're pretty, they're pretty easy to predict. I mean, they, it's in the tight games and the close games where they they struggle a little bit. But in these games that they're supposed to win, they seem to beat up on the competition. Let me mention three games that I can I like. Yeah, let's do them a little quick because we've got 30 seconds uh, left. Yeah, I give a look to the, uh, the Lions on the road uh, playing the Cowboys. I think the Lions are interesting. If you can get the three points there, I think you take it. Uh, the Broncos on Monday night, plus four and a half. I think they might be able to beat the Chiefs straight up. And then the last one will be if you can get the Raiders minus two and a half, the Raiders playing the Browns at home, I'll go back to the Raiders one more time. So those will be the three plays to give a look for me this week. Good stuff, Gino. 
Big thank you to Serena, to Eno, to Monique, the Parlay Queen. We'll be back next week talking MLB, playoffs, NFL, and everything else that's on the sports docket. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.